I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. Red alert. All hands stand to battle stations. Luck has foils and attack positions. Prepare for battle! Autobots, roll out! Get ready, it's your weekly dose of nerd culture. All wings report in. With your crew, Obi-John Kenobi. Hello there. Commander Scott. Nothing amazing about it. I know this ship like the back of my hand. Julian. You tell him I'm coming! And hell's coming with me, you hear? And the Doc. Great Scott! Movies, TV, streaming, video games, comic books, board games, toys, collectibles, cosplay, conventions. If it's happening in the world of geekdom, we're talking about it. So lock and load, bag and board, and roll for initiative. We've got your... Alert. Hello there, it's Obi-John Kenobi, your favorite host in all of podcasting, and welcome to an all-new Nerd Alert. Today, we are finishing our epic four-part journey through the world of J.R.R. Tolkien. We are wrapping up uh, Lord of the Rings month by discussing a very... How do I describe it? Um, niche and fucking weird <laughs> subsection of <laughs> Lord of the Rings. Um, we are going to get into the patchwork quilt that is the Tolkien animated trilogy. But before we get into that, let me tell you who else is going to accompany me on this journey. Because I can't take the ring myself. I got to have a fellowship to come with me. And on this fellowship... Uh, first up, my right-hand man, uh, the Sam to my Frodo, because he does all the heavy lifting. Ladies and gentlemen, the man who keeps the nerd and taught nerdy to me, Commander Scott. So, speaking of nerd stuff, because I like to bring nerd stuff up, it's what I do. I found out something nerdy and history-wise that came across my feed this week, and I thought was just funny as shit. Okay. Uh, so, on April 30th, 1789, George Washington, as one of his first acts as President of the United States, um, addressed Congress formally. Now, at the time, Congress here was pretty much kind of just the House of Representatives type thing, like, like what we know today hadn't completely you know, materialized yet. Um, this also became the first presidential inaugural address and started the tradition of the inaugural address. The drafter of this address of George Washington's was James Madison. Really cool little dude. Several days later, the House of Representatives decided they needed to formally respond to the president's address and uh of course started this custom as well and the person they chose to draft this response was the uh the 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 head of the house of representatives uh at at the time a gentleman known as james madison 
And then several days later on May 8th, the president decided he needed to respond to the House's response to his address. And because he did such a great job on the first one, he chose James Madison to draft his response to the House's response to his response, leading to a month long or almost a month long uh, 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 on the world stage of James Madison literally having a conversation with himself. <laughs> I, I'm just blown away by that. Why did they just use Twitter? <laughs> well, to save so much time. Well, just retweet it. it it's kind of what he did. <laughs> <laughs> the world's first Twitter battle against himself. <laughs> against himself. Yes. I, I found this, this whole thing just like, Wow. Okay, really? Really, guys? Y'all don't realize you're doing this. All right, cool. Well, 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 well that, that works. But yeah, so huh. so uh, April to May, uh, 1789, James Madison on the world stage literally had a conversation with himself. Nice. Do you remember the MTV Movie Awards? I yes. know I'm dating myself. Do you remember the year Jim Carrey beat himself? Uh, to win, it was best comedic actor. He was nominated for two different movies. I forget which two, but in his his um, acceptance speech, he said, "I refuse to believe that I am better than myself." Just um, think of that. That one I do not remember. The only the only MTV Movie Awards with Jim Carrey I remember is the one where he was uh, in almost disguise with the beard and everything. Oh, full-on hippie Jim Carrey. Full-on hippie Jim Carrey. Yeah, because he gets up there, and and he gets up, he gets up there. His full beard. He's wearing these 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 hippie clothes, long hair. Like if you didn't know it was Jim Carrey, you you wouldn't know. And he walks up, and the first thing, the first words out of his mouth at the podium, he looks around and he goes, "There's some mighty fine-looking pussy in this room tonight." <laughs> And, and MTV cut, had to edit the word pussy. He did. And and it cuts it cuts to Courtney Love and she is rolling. Rolling in the aisles. I believe that was around the time they had just completed um Man in the Moon. So he was yeah. sort of coming yes. down off that Kaufman high. Yeah, yeah. And that's why they cut to her because she yeah. was uh, she was co starring that, yeah. So Scott. Yes. I've got a fact for you. I love facts. Because I just learned this term. And if you don't know it, I think you I think you kind of already know it, but I'm gonna put it down. Do you guys know the term growing the beard? Yes, yeah, when you grow a beard, right? Yeah, okay, no, 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 no. Just grow a beard. In, in terms of face, television shows. In terms of television, like jumping the shark kind of yes. thing? Yes, so you've all heard jumping the shark, which is that moment that, you know, a show takes a decline in quality for whatever reason, right? It's from the episode where Fonzie has to uh, um, water ski over a shark, right? Jump the shark. Yep. So the Ooh. opposite Ooh, of can that. Can I take a guess? No. Oh. The opposite <laughs> of that is called growing the beard. Uh, the definitive moment in a series when it begins to become noticeably better in quality, uh, often involving a new writer or other creative person oh. coming on board, blah, 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 blah. Oh. The term derives its name I know where this from comes Star from. Trek The Next uh -huh. Generation, 
between seasons one and two, Commander Riker, Jonathan Frakes, grew his beard. Grew his beard. Now, yes. never heard it before, but yeah. True fans will argue the show didn't really start getting better till season three. Uh, so in season two, even though he had the beard, the show didn't really start getting better till season three. But anyway, growing the beard, <laughs> and uh, I don't know how this got coined, but I freaking love it, uh, is when a show takes a uh, marked uptick in quality named after Riker's beard. Oh, my God. That is an awesome. Uh, not only is it a fact, but it is a Trek fact that I did not know. This just made my day. We're just going to call it. We're ending the show now. We're not going to top this. <laughs> Hang on, now I gotta dive into this rabbit hole real quick. So, um, so if you look on Rotten Tomatoes, season one of Star Trek Next Gen has a 58% uh, rotten score. Um, Season two has a 67%. Season three jumps to 91%, then 95, uh, so on and so forth. So, again, Riker grew the beard between one and two, so the, the phrase doesn't quite fit exactly when it makes that big jump, but I don't care. It's awesome. Growing the beard. Yeah. So, so uh, this is, this is what I was curious about. I was looking at this real quick. Cause as soon as you said that it was the opposite of jumping the shark and then grew the beard, my brain started to put it together. Cause I had never heard it before. Um, and you said that he grew the beard in, in season two. And I just, I just wanted to double check. Okay. So I, I just, I just hopped on. So if you look at Riker, uh-huh. Riker's beard, Riker does have a beard in season two. Because you are right, he does he does come into season two, but I would argue that he doesn't have the Riker beard until season three, because the beard okay. he has in season two is like like very like like pinstripe like tracing the jawline like it's very shaved on top. It's not the same beard. Okay, they look marketedly different, so I can understand. Yeah, like 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 the beard comes into its own in season three, so I kind of get it. But yeah, no, I love this. Yeah, I'm not mad. At it. I don't care. Um, I just I was watching. I I've stumbled onto in a, a very well put together um, fan docu series all about the history of Trek um, from the original series up through everything, movies and shows and whatnot. Um, very good comprehensive series. But uh, he brought up the the term growing the beard, and I was like. What did he say? Grow is that a thing? And yes, yes, that is a thing. Growing the beard. So your nerd fat for today. That is beautiful, and I appreciate you for bringing that up, sir. I'm glad I could do you proud. Uh, joining us then, <laughs> the last member of this party, uh, someone of great quality of character and uh, very intelligent to join us on this mission quest thing. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, joining us from somewhere in time and space via a DeLorean, maybe it's the doc. Gentlemen, we do not stop till nightfall. Well, what about breakfast? Haven't you had that already? Well, yes, we've had one. What about second breakfast? I don't think he oh, knows about don't, that. Don't, don't, don't leave us in suspense. What about second breakfast? <laughs> no, that's it. I must know. So second breakfast is um, when you eat too much breakfast and then you sort of are just like, and then you have a second breakfast. So Now, is the second breakfast the regurgitated first breakfast, or is it in breakfast you eat after regurgitating breakfast one? You call. It's your choice. You decide. It's all up to you. 
Well, how long after first breakfast has first breakfast been regurgitating? Because if it's long enough that nothing's really been digested and I can kind of clean it off. Well, so it's like it's kind of like, you know, second dinner, like how long after you finish drinking your um, bourbon and wander out into the parking lot, are you hungry again? You're assuming I how long after throwing up on your friend's truck? Oh, that's well, a chase right there. Oh, well, that's yeah, that's uh, that's that's pretty quick. Yeah, because because once the once that happens, you know, I I'm good to go. Well, that's we'll school that away for in, later. No, nobody in particular. We're just hypothetical. So, <laughs> now that we've gotten thoroughly off topic, let's see if I can get this quest back underway. Uh, so a, today there was, there was a topic. Yeah, you did most of the homework for it. Uh, proud of you. Uh, yes, today we are completing our... So we've spent several weeks now talking about all things Tolkien, uh, mostly movies and weapons from movies. Uh, we like weapons in movies and movies from weapons. Uh, but we've also... I can't let this go, gonna, John. Huh? I can't let it go. I can't. I can't let it go. We've been Tolkien about Lord of the Rings. Thank you. We have an episode title. <laughs> Welcome to the Tolkien Nerdy Network. Tolkien Nerdy to me. Uh, anyway, okay. So what we're actually here to talk about, uh, props for the the pun, but you're distracting me again. Uh, what we're actually here to talk about, gaze your minds back to the year of 1977. Uh, we're not talking about Star Wars, actually, though. Sorry. Um, before Peter Jackson and and. The, the just awesomeness that is Lord of the Rings and the okayness that is the Hobbit trilogy. We had a different Hobbit film. I guess you technically it was a made for TV movie produced by Rankin Bass. If you heard that name, it's because they made all those Christmas movies you watched when you were a kid with the claymation, like the Rudolph and uh, Frosty the Snowman, those guys. Uh, it aired on November 27th, 1927 on NBC with a reported budget of $3 million. Not shabby. For an animated musical. Yes, The Hobbit as a child kids animated TV movie musical. Um, and the reason this whole thing happened, and the reason all the films we're about to talk about happened, are because of a really weird quirk in US copyright that no longer exists. Uh, and because it's us, I had to I had to investigate. And because it's me, I went way down a rabbit hole. So I'm going to try to keep this very succinct. But okay, so Lord of the Rings, the novels, first published in the UK in 1954. Roughly six months later, they were printed here in the U.S. However, the U.S. publisher uh, Houghton Mifflin only published 1,500 copies. Hobbit had been very big and successful, but they weren't sure how, you know, years later, how successful the fall would be, would be considering they're not kind of the same, you know, the Hobbit's kind of a kid's book, Lord of the Rings is not. So they were tepid. They only printed 1,500. Well, those copies sold out. Rather than doing another bigger printing, they chose to import copies already printed in the UK. This triggered a really weird uh, now non-existent clause in U.S. copyright. Uh, it's a protectionist policy that at the time said books sold in the U.S. had to be printed here in the U.S. And because they were importing and not printing, that led in 1965 the entirety of Tolkien's work in the U.S. 
fell into public domain. In 1996, this was all rectified. Uh, it became a quote-unquote restored work uh, just in time for uh, uh, New Line to have to shell out money to make their movies. Uh, but that is why these companies were able to make anything with Tolkien stuff in the 70s. Uh, and no matter what they might say to the contrary, they did not pay Tolkien's estate anything to make these movies. Uh, because at the time, in the U.S., they were public domain. So, back on target, sorry. Uh, the Hobbit animated movie, uh, actually, well, I'll get into some of this later because this is kind of after the fact stuff. But guys, we've all watched it. What were your thoughts on the animated Hobbit movie? Um, what I really enjoyed, and it wasn't even, I didn't even notice it until it was pointed out to me by Megan, was... Uh, unibrow, sideburn, beard, hair, hair circle around his face. That um, <laughs> he he uh, he has forehead skin. You can see it under uh-huh. his his hat. You can you can see it there. But if you look at him, his eyebrows are a unibrow that immediately turn into sideburns into his beard. And so he's just got like this circle of hair around his face, and you're just like, where does where do his eyebrows end? Where does his beard actually start? What am I watching? Who is this guy? And yeah, I just wanted to point that out. That was one of the <laughs> one of the random things in a very random movie. I know it followed it, but it was very random. Uh, yeah, as well as once you see it, you can't unsee it kind of things. Right. So like, yeah. Yeah. The next time, just you, you just Google a picture. Just. Just on Google, look up the the Rankin Bass Hobbit Gandalf, and you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. That ring of hair just around his face, and you're just like, I can't. What? <laughs> what? Uh, so, one positive I'll give the movie uh, for all those who complain that Peter Jackson's movies were way too long, the entirety of this movie, start to finish, is an hour and seventeen minutes. Yeah, and it covers most of the Hobbit. Um, it does condense events. It does skip some things. Uh, noticeably, it skips Ga- um, not Gollum, uh, Bayorn, which I was a little upset by. But what we did get isn't bad, uh, especially compared to where we're going to go. Scott, thoughts on, on Hobbit? Well, uh, so watching this, it made me appreciate Peter Jackson's The Hobbit a lot more. We're going to say that a lot during yeah. this show. Just um, <laughs> uh, because so I watched it, you know, the, the, this, of all the ones, this was the only one I was able to watch. It's the only one I had a copy of. Uh, I didn't get a chance to watch any of the others. I'm sorry before prepping for the show. Um, but, you know, while watching this, like, so first of all, the, the stuff that was in it, was was decent it was it was good uh, you know it, it's it's a it's it, but i kept thinking wow this is a this is a cliff notes version of of the hobbit uh that's literally in my in my notes yeah yeah it's it's, it's it's the hobbit the cliff notes version and it's you know uh, the dwarves get very little um actual story 
fine. Most of the story focuses on Bilbo completely. Um, Dwarves only speak three times. Wow. Yeah, I didn't. <laughs> yeah, I, didn't, I counted. Yeah, I didn't actually do that. Um, but uh, um, now, one thing I did like in this movie that the other movie doesn't actually really do a lot is uh, Bilbo has an entire like sequence of dialogue that actually outlines who the five armies are in the Battle of Five Armies. <laughs> I, I just I'm just gonna interject real quick, Scott. Where you, I was watching it and I was like, I was like, okay. So then I was counting too. I was like, okay. And then he's like, oh, there's three armies. It's a battle of three armies. And then it's like, oh, it's a battle of four. And then I turned to Megan and I said, where's the fifth? And then like like clockwork. Oh, look, eagles. It's the fifth army. And I was like, what the hell is going on? Yeah. <laughs> you just started chilling with Bilbo on the, t- the side of the hill. Yep, watching yep. this all go down. Yep. Um, I mean, overall, it was it was an okay thing. Um, I, I have to say the the rendition of um, the, the the musical numbers in this one yes. is not nearly as good as Peter Jackson's musical numbers. They're a noble first attempt. When they are. I mean, keep given in Tolkien in the book, all you get is lyrics. So yes. it's kind of up to yourself to come up with the the. Rhyming scheme, sort of in the in the the tempo is what I'm trying to say, and so it's it's a, yeah. it's not a bad rendition. It's just it's yeah, it's not as good as as, the, as what we hear in Peter Jackson's versions. Yeah, that that is uh, that's one thing I also want to point out is the difference between the Rankin Bass Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings one now. Um, but one thing that also was pointed out to me and that I picked up on as well was. There's like a thousand percent more music and singing in The Hobbit than the animated Lord of the Rings, and I, I we'll, was we'll unaware that, that it was a I, I was unaware it was a musical. <laughs> yeah, so like, why are they singing again? <laughs> keep in mind who made it. Rankin Bass made their money on again stuff like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and Frosty the Snowman. So as far as they were concerned, we're going to take the story of The Hobbit and kind of make it fit that Rankin Bass kind of um, template. Uh, and there is a lot of more singing in The Hobbit than you realize, um, especially like me. If you're reading, you just kind of gloss over most of the songs because it's just like, oh, nice. Tolkien wrote a poem. Oh, Tolkien wrote another poem. OK, cool. Because they're not really again, they're not really songs in the written page. I just kind of gloss over those. And then you you watch it when they've actually turned those into songs. It's like, oh, yeah, there's a lot of singing in this. Uh, but they definitely added their own. And um, wow, the theme song they came up with. Wow. <laughs> um it is the most 70s uh um folk country hobbit theme song i never knew i never wanted um it um did it, 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 it sound something like this in the middle of the earth in the life of charlotte no this is better little hobbit whom we all admire that's got a beat. I can dance to that. <laughs> also got uh, Leonard Nimoy. I also uh, there are a lot of things, like a lot of decisions on the animation that confused me in this movie, like okay. how they animated it. Because you know, one of the things I like about, and I I haven't seen the Hobbit trilogy from Peter Jackson, but I know Lord of the Rings, and I've seen enough of 
like trailers and pictures from the hobbit that like you you with animation you have the the freedom to do anything and they made smog look like a cat you've not you've not watched the the, the peter jackson hobbit trilogy no you've got like 10 years dude but why not i don't know just i don't know I'm, i mean i know you like the lord of the rings movies yeah so. I'm, I'm, and I could get that you you might not like The Hobbit as much as you like Lord of the Rings. I, I could get that, but the, to to have never watched them that surprises me a little bit. Yeah, they're specifically made for you. <laughs> they turned The Hobbit into a sequel to Lord of the Rings. It's, it's made just for you. Well, now you know I I I agree that that they they took a lot of liberties to tie the two together, but they they also had the hindsight. You know, or the the benefit of hindsight, you know, where Tolkien actually didn't, because he wrote the he wrote the Hobbit first, and then came into the Lord of the Rings later and said, "Hey, let's let's take this ring that was just a magical ring when I wrote the Hobbit, and let's let's make it something a little more grandiose." Whereas, you know, the the subs- even even these movies, even the Rankin and Bass and whoever the hell did Lord of the Rings, um, we'll get to him. Yeah, but <laughs> even even they had. The, the benefit of coming into it afterwards and knowing, uh, you know, that the ring was what the ring was. Yeah, and, but even in this movie, that, it's in this movie, it's one line at the end of the movie. Yeah, it just throw yeah, ranking and bass, they just throw it in as yeah. uh, you as cut a, that line out and it's fine. Yeah, uh, uh, and I'm not, I'm not here to complain about uh, Peter Jackson's. Yes, there's a lot of stuff they added in because it was added in later by Tolkien, but they also threw a lot of shit in just because. Lord of the Rings did it. Like yeah. everything with Legolas is just there because Lord of the Rings made money. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Jay, hey. those movies are made just for you. Did you like okay. Lord of the Rings? Try The Hobbit. Hey, I like the Hobbit movies. I'm not um, dissing them. I mean, I am, I, but I'm not I like I own them. Yeah. Um. Um. And everything. I'm gonna make Jay uh, watch them when he comes. Yeah, to Jay, you need you need to watch them. You, you really should. You can't go to the con until you watch them all. We're just gonna lock you in a room. <laughs> okay. Anyway. Sorry. Moving on. No, um, I, I will say this. I, I went into this kind of prepared to be like, oof, like this is going to be bad. And, and I did find myself legitimately impressed by a few things. So I do want to give Rankin Bass some credit. Um, they technically put together a very well-made movie for a small budget. Um, they have at points rack focuses and multi-plane landscape animation, which are complicated uh, and, and very technical animation effects. Multi-plane meaning foreground and background and midground elements literally are are physically separated in a machine called the multiplane animation something or other uh, and then condensed later in the filming process so that you get different levels of focus to switch to that's a technique pioneered by walt disney um it, it's the animation for the most part because like everything animated there's some scenes you can tell the animators were down to the wire on uh, but for the most part the animation looks nice uh, I like most of the character designs. Uh, I don't understand why the elaborate elven kingdom of Rivendell is reduced to a, a ski hut in the woods. <laughs> Welcome to Rivendell. I went skiing here once, didn't I? I'll, I'll punch your lift ticket. It, 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 that's that's okay. because Rivendell is actually located in Stad. Just, just so you know. If you want to go, it's, it's in Stad. Stad. I'm just going to say Stad. Okay. Stad. Okay. Sure. Stad. 
Is that, that, is that where you go get to get the hot cocoa after you get off the ski lift? Yes. Okay. Yes. Anyway, uh, back to praising it. Uh, it, it does. Um, uh, I had and I lost it. Oh, I do like the fact that it addresses. Uh, so after uh, the giant cat smog um, is <laughs> leaves leaves the mountain, which is probably why Scott liked it because Scott has cats. And he's like, yeah, that, that's my cat, it's just a big cat. Yeah, um, smog <laughs> the kitty cat, bad kitty cat, bad smog. Uh, but uh, once he once he leaves the mountain. The dwarves end up getting trapped in the mountain, which is why they can't try to stop him or follow after it. So they're not as uh, um, culpable in the destruction of Lake Town as they come off in in uh, the novel, uh, where just he runs off. I was like, oh, okay, cool, we'll have fun with them. Cool, it's ours now. Yay! Um, I, I like that. Uh, it, it did kind of fix some of the story bits. I love the, the the scene during the Battle of Five Armies. It's one of my favorite scenes in the book, and it's one of the scenes I am still to this day crushed that Peter Jackson didn't do at all. Uh, during the battle, our our heroic dwarves come out of uh, Erebor in full-on shiny dwarven armor to boost morale and help turn the tide of the war, and it was very well done. Uh, in this in this version, and I'm still mad at Peter Jackson for not doing it. And yeah. I think that's where my praise ends. For me, so. uh, yeah, I can just picture giant cat smog, like tipping over chalices in his little lair, with just eyes like... that are apparently searchlights. Don't forget that. Oh yeah, that confused the hell out of me. I was like, why are his eyes headlights? What's going on here? That that was that was that was to show you his gaze, to show you where he was looking. Keep in mind, this was this was not made for forty year old guys, forty year old nerds trying to pull it apart. You know, thirty years, forty years after its um, uh, its thing. This was made for for children of the seventies, whom Rankin and Bass pretty much assumed were dumbasses. Yeah. Well, we are thirty and forty year old guys who are tearing it apart forty years later, so. That was dumb. <laughs> it really was. I was like, I was like, since when is he a headlight? Like, turn on your high beams. You'll be. It able was to an find odd it. choice, and, and I, I get what Scott's saying. It was, it, it, it's to show you where he's looking and where his gaze is. I get that, but it's, uh, it was an odd choice, but they stuck to it. I'll give him that. Um, uh, yeah. Well, sorry. The other thing I was gonna say was, uh. Uh, Gollum. Yes. What <laughs> is he? Is he a frog? Is he a tadpole? Is he a lizard? Is is he a former Hobbit? Is he what? It, is it was he? again an interesting choice. Uh, for and and this pointed out something. Uh, I have to address, and that is, you, Andy Circus, for completely ruining any other interpretation of Gollum. <laughs> ever or any interpretation prior to you uh because they are all just terrible now well uh, also i mean you know even even in in the peter jackson interpretation and in the books and everything um um gollum slash uh schmeagol whatever you want to call him his race is not a hobbit 
They are hobbit-like, but they were not actually hobbits. Hobbits are, are, are a different race than what he was. Uh, he was he was an older race. Um, that, that, uh, some have speculated that it's what you know hobbits eventually evolved into, but yeah, he technically wasn't an actual hobbit. Was he a frog? He was not a frog either. <laughs> Jason's observation stands. <laughs> because in this movie, he's a fucking frog. He like he is. He's like he's a he's an anthropomorph anthropomorphic anthropomorphic. And he's a humanoid frog. That, uh, <laughs> this is why I teach math. I teach math, okay? Not math. English. He's good with not the numbers, English. not the words. The letters and numbers together is okay, but words are hard. <laughs> Can't do English. Difficult. Okay. Anyway. No, it was like the first time he pops up on screen, I'm like, what in the fuck is going on? Welcome to the 70s. Ah, <laughs> oh, yes. I like this movie is a two joint minimum. Uh, that's what I was gonna <laughs> say. I was just about to say, like, I feel like I needed something, some sort of other herb to help me get through these movies to like make them a little more palpable. Uh just <laughs> to understand what was going on and feel the vibe, I guess you could say. Yeah. Um, well, after watching this movie. The one takeaway that I had from this is that I want to know, since it's Rankin and Bass, it's 1970s, you know, it is what it is, the stylistic choices and all that good stuff. I just want to know, when do I get to see the John Favreau, Will Ferrell live action interpretation? Because <laughs> that's what I want now. Well, last time they did that, Rankin Bass got mad and sued him. So, never. and it led to a hit. So, I think this is a formula we need to repeat. Okay, Rankin Bass, call your lawyers. Wait, what did they do? Yeah, Rankin Bass sued them over Elf because they flat out ripped oh. off the design of uh, elves from that, which would have been fine if they would have cleared it before they made the movie. Yeah, like like the whole opening act one of Elf is just Rankin and Bass threw it off the red nose reindeer. Okay. Gotcha. Uh, yeah. Um, only as long as like we can have the same number of songs sung the same way, and like, yeah. Yes. Uh, also, John C. Riley as Gollum, because that I will watch. Oh shit! Yes. If it's John C. Riley oh, as Gollum and God, Will Ferrell yes. as Bilbo, I will watch that Fuck <laughs> all day. Just the riddle. The riddles giving each other just like the most stupid riddles but, on the face of the but, planet. It has to be John C. Riley as the frog golem. Uh, uh, of course. I accept what, no other gonna, golems. Yeah, no, no. We, we've, we've got to go with the whole Rankin and Bass aesthetic. Okay. Yeah. That's, yeah. Can, can John C. Riley just be wearing like a frog suit? Like you can yes. still see John C. Riley's head just and face. a really bad Kermit the Frog costume from the Halloween store. Yes. Yes. And I want his hair to be like the hair from uh, his talk show on Adult Swim or whatever. Dr. C. Brule. Yeah, with the glasses Rules. and everything. Yes. You dingus. <laughs> dingus is a fun word. Doesn't get enough of it. But yeah, uh, <laughs> there you go. Uh, I and think, then, oh, we need right. a cat. There definitely has to be the cat. There just has to be a cat Let's with dragon go. wings. Smog is just, it's literally just, it's, it's a cat filmed in like a, a miniature set. Uh, just, it's a cat laying there. 
with dragon wings. Got to have dragon. Yeah, but wings we'll on. color it red. We'll, we'll rotoscope it red, like Ralph. Oh Hacker. God, rotoscope. We're, get, we're getting to that. We're getting to that, Jay. Just get ready. <sighs> okay. Um. But, I, I mean, yeah, John, like you said, there are some redeeming qualities to this movie. Like it's mm-hmm. not if you're, if I was like say a ten year old kid that, or like twelve year old kid that loved The Hobbit, and I was like, oh. They made a hot, and I like read the book and I watched the movie. I'd be like, a little disappointed, but at the same time, I'd be like, oh, this is kind of cool. But I'm not a 12 year old kid, and well, um, I see, wasn't high as a kite either. So, well, and I, I disagree. Uh, you know, as, as a child of the late 70s, early 80s, and who did read The Hobbit and eventually saw this movie. I do remember watching this movie way back when, not when it aired, because I was only two when it aired, but um, I do remember watching this movie as a kid after reading The Hobbit, and and I enjoyed it, you know, as a child. I was like, oh, yeah, I can get behind this. I was completely on board. I was fine. You know, uh, I, I loved it. Um, I loved uh, the, the Lord of the Rings movie uh, and everything, and we'll talk about that when we talk about that movie. But um, But, you know, reading the book, um, going through it and then uh, and then watching the movie, I was like, oh yeah, because because I wasn't focused on the stuff they didn't put in. I was focused on the stuff they did and go, I remember that, I remember that, and my brain would fill in, you know, all of the stuff that they couldn't yeah. put in the movie. So I was fine with it as a child of the seventies watching this movie after reading the book. I think I think its biggest flaw, and Scott's already brought this up, but I think the the, the biggest flaw of the film, and, and I say that because it kind of tinges everything throughout the film, is it's a very condensed version. If you haven't already read the book, it's going to be hard to follow. Uh, the Hobbit itself already jumps around a lot, chapter to chapter, but if you're reading it chapter to chapter, you know all the things that connected it to where you are. This is just sort of like, it's got a checklist of events, and we're going to get to the next one, get to the next one, get to the next one. Uh, and, and nothing is given any kind of time to breathe. Characters pop up, and, and I'm going to bring this up because I'm going to bring this character up later down the road, but Bard the Bowman is already kind of a weird kind of one-off character. He shows up in a chapter, he shows up again, he kills the dragon, and then that's it. It's kind of all we really get out of Bard. Um, and this one, it's the same, but because things are so condensed... Uh, like especially with like Gandalf, you know, Gandalf leaves and comes back and joins the party throughout the book. And when you're reading the book, it's not as noticeable because there's there's a lot of time between them. But in this, where you condense everything down, it's like he just left and now he's back, and he left again and now he's back, and then he left. We only know he left because someone told us he just left right before he came back again. Uh, the whole thing with uh, the the trolls, it, it, the way they have the condensed timeline, it makes it look like Gandalf makes the sun rise. Uh, it, uh, I have yeah. some other examples and I can't find yeah, that, them. But that the, actually, the, the, sorry, that actually ahead. pissed me off in the movie. Okay, the whole Which troll movie? thing in in okay. the animated Hobbit, it pissed me off. Yeah. I actually forgot about this till I watched it. Was the fact that we get the trolls, but then we just we gloss over the most important aspect of that entire scene, which is where Bilbo stalls for time by trying to, you know, uh, have a debate with them on the best way to cook them, which is, nope. which is the key point for that scene. Now we got other stuff to get to. We have to get through this. Yeah, we could get to it. We could spend three damn minutes to actually nope. have the key nope. point to the scene. No, no, absolutely. Yeah. Gotta get moving. I- and I love the way Peter Jackson. It's, does it. it's that way with everything. Sorry. Go ahead. Um, yeah, I, I love the way Peter Jackson interprets that. 
Because like you said, in this version, we, we interpret it as, as as Gandalf makes the sun rise, like, way early. But in, in, in Peter Jackson's version, you know, the sun is rising. It's just not quite high enough to reach the area they're in. So Gandalf breaks the rock, the big boulder that, that's blocking the sun, and lets the sunlight straight into to where they're at and, and everything. So, yeah. Peter Jackson's interpretation of that entire scene is leaps and bounds better than the Rankin and Bass version. And that's um, why I say I think the main problem here is is the way they've they they've got a set time. We got to get everything done, uh, so nothing gets any time to breathe or to develop. Everything is just quick, 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 quick. We have to get on to the next thing. Like literally, at the end of the Battle of Five Armies, we're just told by Gandalf that uh, apparently seven members of the request, not three, died. We don't see any of those deaths. Yeah, None exactly. of them are played yeah. out. It's just we're told because, well, we did get to the next thing. Um, and I had some other examples, but I can't find them in my notes now. But th- that throughout the entire adaptation, for all the good it does do, I think technically it's a very well animated movie for the most part. Um, weird frog golem aside, I like most of the character designs. Um, it, it, again, it's a great animated movie for kids, especially if you and your kid have sat down and read the book. And now you're going to watch this together. It's a great, like you said, Cliff Notes version of that, even though it cuts out Bayorn, which fuck you. Um, but everything is just, you got to smush it down. Like literally I clocked it. Um, Cause I rewatched Peter Jackson's Hobbit after watching this one uh, to get the taste out of my mouth. But uh, 50 minutes into the animated film, we are at uh, the lonely mountain. The same time, 46 or 43 minutes and change into Peter Jackson's The Hobbit, Bilbo runs out of his front door to go have an adventure. That's the difference in time between those movies. Jesus. Yeah. Uh, And I just want to say, as somebody who's never seen The Other Hobbit or read The Hobbit, um. I, this was like, like you guys said, it's a perfect Cliff Notes version. So I was like, oh yeah, th- that's how he got Glamdring. That's no. that's where he found Sting. No. no, that is not how they found Glamdring and Sting. And in Peter Jackson's version, that's also not how they found Glamdring and Sting. <laughs> not exactly, anyway. <laughs> I just sort of like how that was like, hey, look at all this treasure. <clears throat> hey look swords hey you take this one i'm gonna take this one. Oh, i see you found a sword yeah it's more like a dagger i'll name it sting later yeah, after i kill the, some spiders that's the cliff notes version found it in a cave troll or in a cave troll found it in a troll horde that, that's that's the cliff notes version <laughs> um, you found a legendary item <laughs> yes yes they did they had to take hold it to, square to uh, unlock. Well, they had they had to take to Elrond to find out what it was. Yeah, they uh, had to hold apparently in, in 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 this version, Gandalf doesn't know how to read Elven runes. Apparently, yeah, he couldn't hold square to un, to un, <laughs> unveil what it was. Uh, <laughs> so the 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 animation for this one was uh, actually farmed out to a studio in Japan uh, called Topcraft. They don't exist anymore, but many of the members who made up Topcraft went on to found Studio Ghibli, uh, which if you know anything about anime, you know that name. Um, Ro- Romeo Mueller, who wrote this, uh, won a Peabody for his work on the script. It was nominated for a Hugo Award, but it lost out to some movie called Star Wars. Never heard of it. 
Star, star, star Wars. Star Wars. Wars? I don't, yeah, Wars? I don't know. Star I looked it up. It, it looks like a ripoff of Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> um, before it aired, uh, according to them, they had begun work on a sequel, uh, but United Artists beat them to it. Uh, before we jump, any other <sighs> comments to make about this version of The Hobbit? Um, I'm glad that more humans were wearing pants. Oh, we're going to get to that, Jay. <laughs> oh, are we going to get to that? <laughs> I just wanted to, yeah. <laughs> All right, Scott. Any, any last words about The Hobbit? No, I'm good. Let's go. Okay. Here we go. Oh, boy. 1978. Ralph Bakshi. If you don't know him, Google him. Uh, He lobbied for years to get to make an animated version of The Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit. He was a big Tolkien fan. Uh, At the time, United Artists had other plans, i.e. the failed uh, John Borman live-action adaptation that Scott and I have talked about. Uh, There was also a version sort of worked on in the 60s that was going to star the Beatles as the Four Hobbits. Thank God that didn't happen. Uh, But 1975, Bakshi got his wish. Uh, He abandoned the, uh, the John Borman script and started all over. He was determined to be faithful to Tolkien in his adaptation. Bakshi at the time and since was a guy known as being sort of like the bizarro Walt Disney. Um, He felt that animation by the 70s had become stagnant and not boring, basically, which he's not entirely wrong on. Uh, If you look at the the work of the Disney Corporation before and after during the 70s, it it took a steep dive downhill. Um, But he was known for adult oriented animated films and i don't mean porn but i also don't don't mean porn (laughs) if you look up any of his prior works uh there is a lot of cartoon tits in ralph bakshi's prior films including uh fritz the cat which was his big sort of hit uh but he was a guy who who told a lot of stories about inner city uh uh, tribulations because he grew up in new york in the inner city um his his big sort of dive into genre filmmaking was Wizards, which I don't know how to describe. Um, it's a very 60s counterculture thing with a, a wizard, but also they're fighting technology and there's a fairy who's got giant tits. Because uh, that's her only real character attribute. Uh, and the end battle between the evil Nazi sorcerer and the heroic wizard, our hero pulls out a gun and shoots him. Uh, that's uh. the climax. Spoiler. What movie is this? Wizards. Ralph Bakshi's Wizards. Wizards. You're a wizard, Harry. Not even. Yeah, it's uh, a. Anyway, so people were a little worried when Bakshi took on Lord of the Rings because we were like, OK, so. Are we going to see, like, goblin tits? Is Gandalf going to whip out his dick? What's going on here? Because that's what he was known for. And thankfully, he restrained himself with that content. Uh, but Bakshi was also known again. He, he was a guy who wanted to move the animation genre forward technically. So he pioneered a lot of uh, techniques 
like rotoscoping, uh, which essentially means, and I'm breaking this down way simpler than it really is. You film live action and then you take that film and trace over it as an animated uh, feature. He also did things like solarization, polarization, Xerox. Uh, he lots of, of film techniques um, that have kind of fallen by the wayside, uh, but they're used heavily throughout this movie. Uh, it had a budget of somewhere between four and twelve million, depending who you believe. Um, and I'll say this: anything you find about this movie online, if it's said by Bakshi, take it with a grain of salt because he likes to exaggerate a lot. Um, but that being said, Jay, thoughts on Bakshi's Lord of the Rings? Oh my God! Um, I don't even know where to begin. Uh, so let me start with like a few nice things. Okay. 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 And when I say a few, I do mean a few. That's nice of you. Um, I enjoyed the fact that, okay. Now again, take this as it is. I've never read the books. Okay. Okay. So when I say it was a faithful adaptation, what I'm saying is when I watched this, it reminded me of the Peter Jackson, Lord of the Rings. In, okay. a, in a way in a way like i could recall some of the things and i was like okay i remember seeing this in peter jackson's version that's pretty cool and it made me think that oh bless his heart if he did but it made me think that peter jackson watched this before he made lord of the rings because i feel like some of the scene, some of the scene setups were the same for example, when the four hobbits are on the road and um, the ring wraith is after them and sort of like Jay, leaning over. Yeah. You have a good eye, buddy, because that is not accidental. Um, uh, yeah, Peter Jackson has been on record that that he, he did see this version because he's a big Tolkien fan. And that interpretation of the ring wraith well, searching for him, that, that he he. The, the framing of in his movie is intentionally an homage to that. So good eye. Um, it just, and like there are just other parts of it that I was like, it made me think of the Peter Jackson version. Uh, I enjoyed the, I enjoyed John Hurt as Aragorn. Oh yeah. Great voice acting. Um, I was a little on the fence about Anthony Daniels <laughs> as Legolas. C-3PO. <laughs> but, uh, like, and and take this for what it is, but if at least you put a pair of pants on Boromir, I liked Boromir's version. Uh, give him a shield, and he'd be okay. I liked his little so, Viking hat. I, I do have a note here. Yeah, Boromir is a straight-up Viking. I had that written down. Uh, yeah. I have right underneath that, why no pants? Right. That was a question. Uh, um, so now I'm going to get into the other things. The well, hold first on, hold thing, on. Okay. Hold on, hold on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll I'm going to say some nice right. stuff, too. Okay, all right, all right. That's um, fair. <laughs> there's one scene at the end of this that I really, really, really loved. Um, it's when uh, Frodo was leaving the party. And he goes back to get in the boat and, and row down the river. And Sam chases after him. You've seen the same thing if you watched the Peter Jackson version. But in this one, rather than fighting over getting in the boat or not getting in the boat, 
Sam's in the boat and they're both rowing, but they're both rowing in opposite directions and they do it in time to sort of their, their lines of dialogue. So it's Frodo yeah. pushing one way saying, I've got to go. I have to take this thing you know, myself. This is my burden. And then he stops for a second and Sam starts rowing in the opposite direction and says, of course you're going, but I'm coming with you. I told Gandalf I was going to stay with you. The visual of the, the tug of war with the boat while they're talking, it might be a little on the nose, but it worked for me. I really, really liked that scene. Um, I also want to give this the, the, you know, I love Boromir. Uh, the Fro- Boromir-Frodo conversation um before Boromir eventually kind of betrays him and tries to take the ring that whole scene I thought was handled way better than the Peter Jackson version I know uh, I don't mean to talk ill of of Sean Bean um who isn't actually dead but he's died so many times in movies that has talked to him about him like that um Boromir <laughs> seems much less evil and much less creepy when he comes to Frodo uh, and he he seems like he's making less of an emotional argument and more of a rational argument to him. He says, you know, lend me the ring um, and 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 giving the reasons for, you know, the, my people for years have fought off Mordor and, and keep your land safe. And we've struggled. So if, you know, he comes to him from that kind of perspective. And he's, he's not saying, give me the ring. He's saying, lend me the ring so I can save my people. He comes to him, he seems much more rational. Now, he does break down. The madness does take in. Um, and they do go on to kind of, there's one part I really hate in this, where he, he comes back to the group after Frodo's run off and Aragorn discovers what happens and Aragorn kind of scolds him like a child and, and orders him to go protect Merry and Pippin, which I hate because it lessens his sacrifice later on. Uh, but then we get to his sacrifice and I think Bakshi was mad at Boromir for some reason because how many arrows does Boromir get shot with? It's at least, I think it's like 10. Yeah, no, in this movie, it's 12. Ah, I was close. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) I think Bakshi was just really mad. And they don't hold back on the blood. In The Hobbit, uh, the the uh, Rankin-Bass Hobbit, anytime something gets stabbed or killed, you get this weird, like, kaleidoscope thing going on. Because yeah. we don't want to show violence or blood. So it's sort of like suggestive. Like you see someone like about to strike and then it cuts to that. This movie does not do that. This nope. movie is full on blood. Uh, so as Boromir is getting hit by arrow after arrow after arrow, you see the blood start to drip off of him. And it's like, wow, okay. Actually, what was worse for me, like, and that part was intense, but what was worse for me is when he pulled the original arrows out and there were holes in his chest that you saw the black hole and where yeah. the blood was coming out. And I was like, Jesus. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know what poor Boromir did to piss off Bakshi, but he really wanted him to suffer. Um, uh, sorry, too many notes. Uh, but no, the, that entire conversation I thought was handled much better. Um, I, I, I liked the way they approached that, and I, I loved the scene with Sam and uh, and Frodo. Just that visual back and forth as yeah. they were in the boat, I thought was really well done. And um, um, I just want to Scott, throw this. Okay. I just want yeah, to throw yeah. this out there. After having watched this. Lord of the Rings, like the animated one. And it's been so long since I've watched any of the Lord of the Rings movies. Like, I've seen them a bunch of times, but I haven't watched them in a while. For some odd reason, I understand a lot of stuff that happened in the movie a lot better now. I don't know why. But, like, having watched this animated one, I was like, oh, that's what the hell they were talking about. And it it just, like, cleared things up. I don't know why. Well, it just okay. did. So one thing you can say very well 
about the animated movies versus the uh, Peter Jackson movies is the animated movies do a very a much better job actually <clears throat> of illustrating and calling attention to actually what's going on whereas uh in in the in the Peter Jackson movies a lot of the subtext and everything is very understated they don't they don't they don't hang a tag on it so to speak uh, of of the like like you said of all the things like oh that's what they're talking about or because when 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 in in the Peter Jackson movies when they're talking about other places or other events in Lord of the Rings it's very conversational because the characters all know what the characters are talking about it's like if you and I are talking about Star Wars you know and you know and and I'm talking you know we're we're, we're discussing let's say rebels you know and and I say yeah you know that scene where you know um uh Kanan is is uh talking to Darth Maul who was the 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 the, the Sith Lord that was apprenticed to you know I don't full I don't reference the background of the character because you and I both know the background of the character. So in the Peter Jackson movies when the characters are talking about the events of the world they don't they don't call out the common knowledge between the characters whereas in the in in the animated in the Rankin and Bass in this one and in you know the 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 Return of the King and stuff they do call out they they add that little bit of dialogue that calls out what the fuck they're talking about well part of that is especially in Bakshi's Lord of the Rings and also Bakshi has never been known as someone his his prior works up to this were not very heavily narrative driven. Other, so this movie just like the the Brank and Bass Hobbit. If you know the story already, you're okay. You can follow along. You know the events and the order they take place in. Um, but if you don't, the reason they have dialogue like that is because they dialogue is cheap. And we can cram it in. If we just have someone explain uh, that that can be used well in this movie, it ends up being used as a crutch rather than showing something or or getting an idea across uh, in a a naturally story driven way. We just have a character explain it to the audience. And a lot of that happens in this movie. Uh, A lot of stuff gets glossed over or just mentioned in dialogue and move on. Um, and it's one of the things that really pissed me off about this movie is uh, they rely on that a lot because it's cheap. We had a lot of rotoscoping to do, so let's just uh, have someone explain this in a line of dialogue and move on. Oh, rotoscope. There was one transition. Here we go, yeah, okay. So literally, as soon as uh, Gandalf dies in Moria, um, you know, in Peter Jackson's version, we, we get outside of Moria and everyone's kind of mourning and we have a, hey, we have to keep going, we have to keep going kind of thing. And this one, literally, as soon as we walk out of Moria, we jump cut to Lothlorien. There is no transition at all. There is no, uh, uh, where are we headed? There's no regathering the party. Literally, I thought my copy skipped. I was like, whoa, hey, we missed something. No, no, it just jumps right to it. Um 
because this they also do. has the the and and this yeah this version deals with mostly fellowship of the ring but it also tries to then cram in two towers at the end uh which makes the flow of the story again actually not known for for narrative story makes the story flow really weird because you get to the end of fellowship and things feel like we're kind of wrapping up and there's another like 30 minutes to go um and then again this this movie was intended to be a two-parter it never got the second part spoiler uh, so not only do we finish fellowship and then cram into towers, but we tease things, uh, in, in the movie that were going to be fulfilled in the third or second movie that never happened. So the end of being plot points that go nowhere, like Bilbo and Sam just disappear after meeting, uh, Gollum. It's implied they're heading off and that they will get to Shelob in the next movie, but they I mean, literally just Frodo. walk off and, and, and we don't come back to them at all. Um, after they they meet up with Gollum and, and ride off, which we never see him again. Uh, and then the Battle of Helm's Deep is is implied as you know when we've we've won our victory and the Rohirrim come in and yay the battle's won yay. There's a weird ass line of dialogue about and the forces of evil were driven from Middle Earth forever. And it's like what? <laughs> huh? Uh, because again, it, it, it's it's sorry. It, uh, the force were driven forever, and thus ends the first great story in the Lord of the Rings. So is this it, or is this not it? Is this we won, or there's more to come? Well, I mean, I admit it's no. You know, you you have vanquished the enemy and 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 proven our way of life, whatever the hell that quote is. I can't. Proven the justice of our culture. Justice of our culture. Go and rest now, our heroes. Exactly. Thank you. Yes. yes. Yeah. That's exactly. And if you can tell me and Scott what that's from, we'll <laughs> give you a dollar. And lose but, it'll be, but it'll be Jay's dollar. Yes. Yeah. You know. We'll give you a wait, dollar from wait, Jason's wallet. What? Wait yeah. a minute. What? Yep. No. And that goes to you too, Jay. If you can tell us what it's from, we'll give you a dollar from your wallet. Oh, well. What if I can't tell you what it's from? You don't get a dollar then. You don't get a dollar from your wallet. Yep, sorry. It's already in my wall. Anyway. <laughs> yes. Uh, no, I like, yeah. Like, you, they just sort of shoved two towers into Lord of the Rings. And um, Treebeard? Um, what? Yeah, no, that's actually a great segue. Yeah. Um, what? Who? What? Tree, yeah, Treebeard which is, that, is uh, like, what? And it's another plot line that's introduced and then goes nowhere. They meet Treebeard, they walk off, and we never see Mary and Pippin or Treebeard again. Um, and Treebeard is the only fully, completely animated character in this. Everyone else is rotoscoped or some other technique of combining live action and, and uh, traditional animation. Treebeard is the only fully animated character so he looks it, it looks like a character walked off the set of a dr seuss cartoon into this movie yeah um especially with the way like the rotoscoping goes with the hobbits of their dancing and jumping and singing and clapping that just creeps me out but uh yeah like you said he just doesn't fit like he's he's carrying these two hobbits and you're like when did who spilled some disney in my lord of the rings what <laughs> Uh, and that's another big thing. Like, uh, I think this film also suffers from the plot condensation that the Hobbit did much more egregiously because Hobbit was only adapting one story. Um, but the other 
big thing about this and the thing I have to bring up because you can't help but notice it and it takes you out of the film. Again, Bakshi was uh, very much, I'll give him credit, full credit. He wanted to push animation technically forward. And he was trying a lot of new techniques and a lot of experimental stuff. And that's fine. I, I don't begrudge him that. The problem is Bakshi apparently has the worst case of ADHD in any filmmaker ever because Bakshi, within the same scene, will cut between different animated techniques for the same characters for no discernible reason. The part where Mary and Pippin run into the uh, the or are kidnapped by the the orcs or trolls or the troll orcs at the end of the film and they run off right before they meet Treebeard. That entire sequence, there's no animation. That's live action, and they just put a red filter over everything. Yeah. Prior to that, they're rotoscoped animated characters. They run off uh, off frame. We cut to the next frame, and it's just here's live action with a red filter over it. Uh, there's one scene where Aragorn is running after something. I forget where it is, but Aragorn switches between rotoscope, solarization, and partial animation in one sequence of running because it seemed like, and again, this could have been used. So like all the, the bad guy characters are rotoscoped. Um, and, and by that, I mean, uh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Is that rotoscope? They're Xeroxed. They have this weird, uh, so they, they took the film, they made a Xerox copy, they used that Xerox copy to animate those uh, those characters. So what you end up with is is a real sharp, um, or sorry, a real ill-defined contrast where you have heavy, heavy darks and, and splotches of light. Uh, think of uh, the Nazgul um, after Amun-Hen, because uh, they do jump design. Uh, uh, when you first see the Nazgul, they're like the hooded, cloaked figures. And then as soon as we get to Amun-Hen, when like they're revealed to be the kings, from then on, they have that, that Xerox look where they're, I think it's like green kind of filter, uh, but you get the really dark blacks and the really sort of um, like uh, a bright green areas. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. I feel like I'm rattling a lot. But throughout, they're done in that style of animation. And our heroes are done in a little more traditional rotoscope where we filmed an actor on a set doing this and then we animated over their performance. So that draws an interesting contrast in styles between our heroes and our villains. I'm cool with that. When you get to Rohan, a lot of the writers of Rohan are done in a process called solarization, uh, which I won't get into all the technicals of because I don't quite understand all of them. But they have a very different visual style than their other characters do. And, and if, they'd, if they'd have decided each race was going to have a different technique to, to display it, to show the differences in races, that could have been interesting. Or if each landscape was going to have a different sort of background style, that could have been interesting. But the way the techniques are just used haphazardly, seemingly whatever they decided to use for that scene at that time. And it takes you out of the movie because you'll jump from one scene to, to a next and be like, oh, whoa, what the hell is this? What am I looking at? Uh, it's jarring. Um, I just want to, I want to talk about, when you're talking about animation, I want to talk about one scene in particular. Okay. And that's when they're in Moria. And <sighs> yeah, I'm, glad, to, you there's brought, more. I'm glad you brought this up. There's more, there's okay. more to Moria. Um, oh, okay. Right. But this, this one thing when you're talking about the animation, okay. You know, the scene in uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail, when Lancelot is running towards the castle. 
Yes. And they keep replaying it and replaying it. Yes. That's how I felt watching the scene where the, I don't know if it was supposed to be a, a cave troll or just a big freaking orc that ended up throwing the spear at Frodo. But like he attacks Boromir in like charges, slow motion yeah. and then attacks Aragorn in like slow motion. And it takes forever and a day for him to finally throw that spear at Frodo. Like it seriously to me felt like watching that scene from Monty Python. Well, <laughs> I'm just like, is he going to throw it? What is going on? Oh, he did throw the spear. And it is like, you're like, okay, that's clearly a guy being filmed that they've now like colorized or done something to turn him into animation. Yeah. Towards the end of production, they were running out of time and money and a lot of corners got cut. And you can tell because there's a lot of stuff where, like I said, that, that scene with Mary and Pippin, there's no, they can call it whatever they want, but there's no actual animation in that. It is literally just, we put a red filter over this and it looks like animation. So we're going to call it, um, do you want to talk about the thing in Moria we got to talk about, Jay? Is it is it the Balrog? The, the dwarves delved too deeply and they unearthed the most disappointing looking Balrog I've ever seen in my life. And this um, is what perplexes me. And I feel like it summarizes everything wrong with this movie. Um, it, it, okay. You know when, like, you get a brand new puppy <laughs> and... And its feet like, oh, are, already. and its feet are just giant, and you're like, oh, look at his giant paws. What the hell is up with the Balrog's feet? Like, <laughs> so, and again, this this is this is what's perplexing. So, rotoscope is not something Ralph Bakshi invented. It's been used by lots of other people before and since. Disney used rotoscoping, but Disney always used it as more of a reference for movement to help animators draw convincing fluid movement. You shoot the live action, you use it as a reference, maybe you draw over it. So you think, okay, rotoscoping, the Balrog. Okay, great. We can put somebody on set to represent the movements of the Balrog, and then we can animate whatever we want over top of that reference, right? Right. We can make it look however we want, because it's animation. We can literally do whatever we want wide open it's wide open let your imagination go wild this is the most painfully obvious dude in a suit that doesn't fit <laughs> and, and not even like 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 alien is a dude in a suit but that's like a really well-crafted suit because it's going to be seen on film these are suits that well no one's going to see it on film we're going to animate over top of it so it doesn't have to look that great it's just for a reference they didn't do anything to it. It's a dude wearing giant, like six inch lifts and big ass butterfly wings with like a lion head. Yep. <laughs> and they're just like, yeah, no, that's good enough. <laughs> Looks good. Yeah. That's terrifying, right? Right? You're scared. Ooh, you're scared of the Balrog. Ooh. <laughs> they did animate his sword as a flame. So, um, half star for them on that. But no, it's just it 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 when we because we were getting to that part and I was like, oh, I wonder what they'll do. That could be really interesting because you know again, I'm, I'm, they used a real person for for motion reference, but you could draw what you could make the Balrog literally look like one of those great 
um, Alan Howe paintings come to life. Wonder what they're gonna do. Oh, that's dude. That's, this is, dude, that's this is, what they did. They did a thing. That was a thing. Yep. There's uh, a thing on screen. All right. Okay. There's a story that Bakshi tells. So take it with a grain of salt. Uh, they filmed a lot of the live action sequences in Spain, and especially the stuff for like the the Battle of um, Helm's Deep. But because they were shooting to in, intending to rotoscope over it. They weren't worried about stuff like having phone lines or cars or stuff in the background. They weren't worried about the makeup being especially good or the costumes being good because we're going to rotoscope over all of it. Well, apparently some of the people from the Spanish film board saw the live action footage, not realizing that it was reference photos or reference footage to be rotoscoped over, thought this is what it's going to look like. And attempted to destroy the film because they didn't want a film, a movie shot in Spain to look that bad. <laughs> Again, take it with a grain of salt because it's a Bakshi story. But um, so what you're saying is you're can you are agreeing that your movie looked terrible and um, it, it's you should feel terrible for it being terrible. It's the problem for <laughs> and again this i don't just want to tear down back sheet um if you were shooting just for reference material then it doesn't really matter what it looks like um but in the end a lot of it there was no little to nothing done to the footage so when you shot it on the day it's like oh it doesn't matter if it looks bad we're gonna rotoscope over it and then you get down to rotoscope over it, like uh, just put a filter on it it's fine no it's not uh and, and the problem with that is uh, actually realized only too late that that essentially meant he had to make the movie twice. He had to go film everything for his rotoscope references and then take the footage and animate on top of it. So they had to make the movie twice, which is why it went so over, or the budget got so thin towards the end. That oh. being said, the movie did make $30 million in North America, which means even if the budget was as high as $12 million, which is the highest estimate I could get, the movie was financially successful. It was nominated for Hugo and Saturn Awards. Uh, the score by Leonard Rosenmance was nominated for a Golden Globe. However, it had very mixed critical reaction. Um, the sequel that was intended to be done obviously got canceled after the quote not overly response from fans and critics um anything else to say about Bakshi's Lord of the Rings it was hard to watch sober <laughs> I feel like I, and I don't want to bash on him too much. I mean, I know what he did. He did what he did, but um, I feel like I needed some sort of aid to get through that movie. It. I it was, I salute hard. his yeah. I salute the the risks he took and his ambition. Yes. Um, had he been given a proper time to get it done, maybe this would have resulted in something different. Had there been someone to kind of rein in some of his manic energy maybe would have been a more coherent kind of experience but it is what it is um so there you go 
uh, anything, Scott, anything? I know you, you you haven't watched this in a while, but any any lingering memories from Bakshi's Lord of the Rings? Yeah, it's I didn't get a chance to watch this prior to, you know, the, the show tonight and stuff because lots of different factors. But I, I have seen it. I I have this in this movie in my head with fond memories um, because I do like some of the more radical. I mean, all the technical stuff when I originally saw it way back when I, I didn't know, obviously, and, and no one else did either. Um but I, I love a lot of the, the, the different radical techniques that he used. Um, and I still remember it fondly because of those radical uh, techniques. It was something very different from anything that I had seen before when I watched it. Um, uh, I will admit, you know, when I when I saw the Balrog, you know, way back when, I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool. And then I saw the Balrog in um, Peter Jackson's version. I'm like, holy shit, that's fucking terrifying. Uh, Great. So, <laughs> you know, by comparison, I will agree. But at the same time, in, in, in 1977, 78, you know, uh, we didn't have Peter Jackson's version yet. Um, but I will have to say, you, you can't, you can't look at these two directly together you can't directly compare one to the other because they were so far removed from each other but you also can't discuss this movie without knowing that this movie was an inspiration to peter jackson um because like literally the the scene where they're hiding under the 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 root of the tree the hobbits are hiding under the root of the tree uh, from the the Nazgul is literally lifted straight from this this movie. Yeah, we talked about that. We did. Mm-hmm. I, I don't remember you saying that. I'm sorry. I must have zoned out a minute. Sorry, but yeah, Jay, so, Jay brought it up. Yeah, he brought it up. Okay. Um. So yeah, I mean, you know, clearly this was an influence for Peter Jackson. We going forward, and I don't think despite all of its flaws and its dating, uh, I don't think we would have the Lord of the Rings that we have today if it wasn't for this movie. So take it for what you will. Watch it, love it, hate it, you know. Uh, yeah. I choose to enjoy it when I, you know, uh, on, on the rare every 50 years that I watch it. But uh... <laughs> it's, if you're a Lord of the Rings fan, it's definitely required viewing. Um, just just to see another interpretation of Tolkien's work, uh, whether you end up loving it or hating it. And again, Bakshi really was trying to do something ambitious and new and different with it. Um, and he did, you know, for, for all of his flaws as a filmmaker, he really was passionate about it. Uh, there's whole sections of dialogue lifted straight out of Tolkien. Um, it was always intended by him to be part one um, and to follow it up with another movie. But the studio basically said, no, nah, we're good. Uh, so he never got a chance to. Uh, it, it was the most effort he put into a single film at that time. So as much as we're having fun making fun of it, um, it, it it was ambitious for its time. Uh, and I do think, like Scott said, it's definitely worth a watch. If For no other reason than to see another interpretation of Tolkien. But uh, it was not the last. Uh, and I will be very brief with this next one because I'm the only one who got a chance. 
to view this. Um, so following the fallout of Bakshi's Lord of the Rings, uh, he never got to make his part two. However, our good old friends Rankin Bass <laughs> were there to save the day. In 1980, um, specifically Sunday, May 11th, 1980, we had a animated TV musical cartoon called Return of the King, which is a sequel to The Hobbit. It is not the third part of the Lord of the Rings trilogy. It's the sequel to The Hobbit. Its original title was Frodo, The Hobbit Part 2. Okay. Uh, according to Rankin Bass, uh, hold on. Uh, they claimed it was always their plan to adapt this after The Hobbit and that Bakshi's film had no bearing on their plans whatsoever. Bullshit. <coughs> Sorry. Sorry. Oh, did you get something in your throat there? What? Yeah, I got something caught in my throat. <clears> throat> um, when asked why they decided to jump to Return of the King and not adapt the other two parts of the Lord of the Rings, Rankin himself of Rankin Bass said, quote, I didn't know the audience would sit still for it. I was wrong. Uh, so, I don't I was the only one who watched it. I'm going to try to be succinct and brief, but Return to the King, 1980, the animated Rankin Bass, starts with a framing device of Bilbo's 129th birthday at Rivendell with uh, Elrond and Gandalf and Bilbo and Frodo and uh, Mary Pippin and Sam, and they're celebrating their birthday, and they're about to leave to sail to the Grey Havens. And while they do, silly old Bilbo, who apparently has a really bad case of Alzheimer's, forgets that uh, Frodo lost his ring. Frodo, you lost that ring I gave you. What happened to that? And the rest of this is a giant flashback to how Frodo lost Bilbo's ring. Yeah. Um, it's weird and not in the Ralph Bakshi weird. It's weird in what they chose to adapt for the story. Uh, sorry, I got too many notes. Uh, because it does not address Fellowship or Two Towers in anything other than a very, very, very brief and minor sort of recap. It starts the actual story. After 20 minutes of the birthday party and opening credits and kind of a musical recap to kind of get you up to speed where you are. It starts with Frodo and Sam trekking to Mordor. No Gollum. There's one, literally one mention of Aragorn. Uh, it's their journey. And it's specifically after Shelob. So if you're watching these as a trilogy, there's no Shelob at all. Because Bakshi leads up to that and never got to finish it. And Rankin-Bass drops it all together. It's uh, after uh, Frodo has been captured by the orcs and Sam is going in to save him at the Tower of... I forget what it's called. The fortress he's going into. So after we jump from Bilbo and Frodo and Frodo telling Bilbo the story, we then switch characters again. And Samwise, for the, like, 30 minutes of this movie is your main er, protagonist. It's yeah. him rescuing Frodo. It's, th there's an entire five minute sequence when he grabs the ring and realizes, oh, I've got the ring. 
Uh, and, and then he decides, oh, maybe I should claim the ring. And he has this weird fantasy about what would happen if he took the ring and he became the supreme ruler of all Middle Earth. And I'm not going to lie. I had a moment where like, what the fuck am I watching? And then about 30 seconds in, I'm down for this. I think Sam should keep the ring. I'm fine with that. His version is great. He would turn all of Middle Earth into a garden. He's leading an army, riding on a horse with a flaming sword. I'm down for this. Keep it, Sam. Keep it. Uh, <laughs> Samwise the Strong, he dubs himself. And I'm fucking in for that. <clears throat> um, I don't know what else to say. Um it's it's we do eventually catch up to some of the events of, of the rest of the story. He he rescues Frodo. They go on their trek. Um, we do cut back to Gondor, where we see uh, Gandalf and um, Pippin. Yeah, Pippin uh, at the siege of Gondor, and that's kind of a thing. Uh, Gondor is being laid siege to already. Uh, we briefly meet Denethor long enough for him to die, and he d- doesn't die on fire running off a giant cliff. Uh, That's hashtag disappointed. I know, right? Uh, we do get some really interesting designs for the Nazgul uh, because they're redesigned here for, for Rankin Bass. Uh, we do get, and I, I sent you guys a snap of this, a pretty badass-looking Saturday morning cartoon villain version of the Witch King. <laughs> he's got like glowy red eyes and a big hood and uh rather than being on a, a fell beast he's on a pegasus whatever i'm cool um uh, sorry i'm gonna lost some of my own notes here uh we do get that we get our 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 new bard the bowman in the form of eowyn who shows up out of fucking nowhere Gets two lines of dialogue from Pippin to explain who she is and why she's there before she kills the Witch King and then disappears the rest of the goddamn movie. Huh. Yeah. All she's there for and she disappears. Uh, We do, at the very ass end of the movie, get Aragorn coming back. Uh, We don't get the ghost army, though. Uh, He just comes back in and he's on the ship. Um, (coughs) Excuse me. Uh, and, and then there's there's sort of a, an end battle. It's mostly we, we gloss over the Battle of Gondor happens and then we get to uh, um, Gollum shows up right as Sam and Frodo were getting to the, the door to get into Mount Doom. Uh, and yes, Jay, it's weird ass fucking frog Gollum again. Um, oh. and they wrestle and they do the thing where he bites the finger off and, and, and sort of like we're just ticking boxes at this point. Um going through my notes i'm sorry um seriously this can't stay focused i have that as a note um so yeah it's it's a weird it's sort of taking the story of return of the king and adapting it as a straight sequel to the hobbit skipping the first two parts uh aragorn's in it briefly there's no legolas no gimli (coughs) at all um an hour and four minutes in, Gollum finally shows up. Um, we ditch the weird kaleidoscope thing. When we kill people, we get actually actual blood. Uh, Theoden dies by falling off his horse. Aragorn shows up at an hour and 17 minutes. Um, and then we get the what I'm thinking is the original Phantom Menace ending, where as soon as we destroy the ring, the entire armies and of everything in, in, in uh, Mordor just disappears and, and goes away. Um, 
and that's that's our story guys interesting i will give them credit they do uh they do do um do the what's it called the the, the two watchers uh, when Sam is going in to save Frodo, which is a, another sequence that got cut for time, basically from the Peter Jackson version, um, where he Sam has to use the um, uh, the light of a lindel to get past the invisible wall from the Watchers. It was a cool little sequence that got cut from Peter Jackson's just to kind of save time, but they really draw it out in this movie. Um, and there's some interesting character designs, but no matter how you slice it, really weird adaptation of return of the king because it's not done as here's the final part the final chapter in the lord of the rings it's here's the sequel to the hobbit interesting that's very interesting yeah uh it is it's like an hour and 37 minutes so it's a little bit longer than the original hobbit um but it's still pretty short um yeah and sorry too many notes um yeah that's about all i got uh for that so two different studios two different filmmakers three different films um that ostensibly have nothing in common except their adaptations of tolkien work but uh in the 90s guess who got the rights to all of these warner brothers oh so guess who put out a box set on DVD of, quote, the original Lord of the Rings animated trilogy? Oof. Even though this Oof. is the weirdest goddamn trilogy. Because nothing matches up. Um, you can sort of use Return of the King as the end chapter. But again, it, it, it does not tie into Bakshi's at all other than... Bakshi's story doesn't really get into the events of Return of the King, and Return of the King picks up at kind of the same spot. Um, but if you're watch, trying to watch them in like in order, you go from the end of um, Helm's Deep to Bilbo and Frodo uh, having a flashback at Rivendell. Mm. And then Sam takes over for like half an hour. It's weird, man. Uh, even if you just watched The Hobbit and then jumped to this, I think kids would be more confused because there's of all the things to do as a sequel to The Hobbit, let's jump right to Return of the King. Right? Oh, I feel oh, like is, is Bilbo the king? No, no. Okay. I, I feel like a good a good sequel to The Hobbit would have been Lord of the Rings, like the first one. Yeah, that's that's why I call bullshit on their whole thing that this was always our intention. Like, no, uh, no, <laughs> because you're bending over backwards to try to make them work and it doesn't really work. It's weird. Yeah. Uh, what happened is back. She beat you to the punch. And rather than go back and redo because he covered the first two books, you're like, oh, well, what didn't he do? OK, we'll do that. But we'll we'll do it as like it's a sequel to our first one. I'll 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 keep my I'll keep my Lord of the Rings as Peter Jackson. It's and again, uh, I, the animation quality in this is is well done. Um, they don't get crazy. There is one song that will get stuck in your head 
Uh, Scott, I should have given you a heads up beforehand, but if you can use your Google magic and find where there's a whip, there's a way from the 1980 Return of the King. Um, I, when it first came up, I was like, wow, this is terrible. I hate this song. And then literally all day at work today, it's been in my head. And it won't go away. It will not go away. Well, John. Starting, yes. You know what else came out in 1980? Raiders of the Lost Ark? Yes. Was that 80 or 81? Uh, I think I was it was 81. Say, I was going to say a little, little known sequel to a movie uh-huh. that probably didn't make much money in 1977. Yeah. Return of the King. The sequel to The Hobbit. Yeah. 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 Yeah, another sequel came out in 1980. Oh, oh, oh. I think What's it was that? like they, I googled it earlier. It was like the the Empire Strikes Beak. Is that right? Empire. You having trouble reading? Am Erm Ermper the Ermper Empire Sturks. Strikes. But what, what's that a sequel to, Jay? Ermper Ermper Sturks Burke. Uh, sequel to. Um, to Sun Battles. Oh, okay. Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> Sun Battles, starring Lance Skyjammer. <laughs> okay. No? no? All right. Uh, well, yeah, and I, I wish you guys could have gotten a chance to watch this. I know this one's kind of hard to find. Um, but uh, if you've gotten through Bakshi's... <laughs> You got through the original Rankin Bass. You got to finish it out. Uh, it's only an hour and thirty-seven minutes, and there's some there's some legit cool animation in this. Um, Rankin Bass does not play around when it, it's the same animation studio who did their Hobbit. Um, so there's some good animation. There's some really cool character designs. Um, if you <laughs> if you watch it in in clips on YouTube, you think, wow, this is a really cool movie. Uh, but it really does feel like the Saturday morning cartoon version of of Return of the King, which is a really weird way to cap off the trilogy. But um, I had a point and I lost it. So that's there you go. Uh, what a weird, weird trip it's been. A wild, weird, weird, wild sort of thing. So I, I think going into this, what we've concluded is if you want to watch these and we highly recommend you should watch these at least once you should definitely watch them with some sort of chemical influence <laughs> yes get get yep. some nerd friends together crack open a case of beer and have yourselves a good time or or alternatively if you're in a state that allows that mm-hmm. sort of thing maybe have yeah, yourself get smoke some like old gummy Toby. beer <laughs> have a gummy bear um uh, maybe some nice long maybe, bottom leaf yeah uh the devil's yeah, yeah. lettuce uh yeah so, so, some of the halfling leaf yeah yes mm-hmm. get out get out ye old pipe from your walking stick the finest south farthing pipe weed you can get your hands on yeah <laughs> have a have a little powwow in the teepee uh you know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, look, I <laughs> we are now in an age where we're spoiled by an adaptation of Lord of the Rings that will be the definitive Lord of the Rings for God knows how long. It's been 20 years. 
since Peter Jackson's trilogy came out, and they are still the definitive look and feel for Lord of the Rings. Uh, even the Amazon series that's at this point, at the time of this recording, has yet to come out, but they bent over backwards to make sure they could they replicate the look from Peter Jackson's films uh, and be in the same continuity, because that is still in, in the minds of most people. That is the definitive Middle Earth. If you can separate that, these are worth a look. They are early attempts at adapting what is the notoriously unadaptable book. Um, and <laughs> for all the weird, here's why we couldn't do that. Here's why we didn't do this. Everybody can do what they want because it was temporarily in public domain. Uh, when you know the backstory, some of it makes a little more sense. But it is still it, clearly, uh, and, and it's it's odd that Warner Brothers ever marketed them as a trilogy because they are not at all a trilogy. <laughs> Again, two different animation studios, two completely different sets of directors making three different movies that really don't ever sync up. But they call it a trilogy. Give it a watch. Um, what I mean to get across here is uh, some people in the seventies and eighties really, really wanted to get an adaptation of Tolkien's work on screen. And I do think they're right that at that point in time, animation is the best way to do it. They were very ambitious. Um, so much so that maybe their reach exceeded their grasp at some points, but Scott get us ready because what they showed us was where there's a whip, there's a way. And with that, we're going to leave you for this week. This has been your weekly nerd alert. Uh, I just want to leave you with those words. Have fun getting that out of your heads. <laughs>